From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thanks for tuning in for this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Coming up, the Democrat-led House Judiciary Committee interrupted a two-week congressional recess. Now, the interruption was to hold an emergency hearing today on an eight-bill package of their gun control measures. Now, Republican members push back, saying Democrats are ramming the measures through without Republican input. But there's a willingness to just ram through this package, and the answer is, we don't have any patience for you if you're objecting. The voices are raised. The accusations are made. Republicans are complicit. I can tell you this, and let me be clear. You are not going to bully your way into stripping Americans of fundamental rights. That was North Carolina Congressman Dan Bishop. He joins us in just a moment. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken released the department's annual list of religious freedom abusers this morning. Today, the State Department is releasing the 2021 International Religious Freedom Report. This report offers a thorough, fact-based review of the state of religious freedom in nearly 200 countries and territories around the world. So what does the report have to say? We'll find out when the former ambassador large for religious freedom, Sam Brownback, joins me here on Washington Watch. Yesterday, we discussed how Americans are increasingly opposed to corporations pushing cultural and social issues, with nearly six in 10 Americans saying corporations should stay out. Well, what about this new push for investment firms that are prioritizing what's called environmental, social, and governance standards, ESG, over gaining a financial return for their clients? Well, it's interesting because states, red states, are now weighing in when it comes to state pension funds. Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron has written a legal opinion saying investing by ESG standards is not in law with Kentucky state law. He joins us to talk about how woke firms are actually putting retirees at risk. And it took years, it took years, but yesterday the larger-than-life bronze statue of the Lion of Judah was dedicated in Jerusalem. The statue is the work of Texas-based Christian artist Max Greiner. Rabbi Pesach Walicki, who was a part of the dedication yesterday in Jerusalem, said the statue is a symbol of friendship. For decades and centuries to come, visitors to Jerusalem will come to this place, read the inscription, and be reminded that as the state of Israel flourished in our time, American Christians stood with us shoulder to shoulder in love and friendship. We'll talk with Max Greiner, and then we'll go to Chris Mitchell, CBN Middle East Bureau Chief in Jerusalem, who was there yesterday for the dedication. Let me remind you of the new Washington Stand, FRC's new online news source. I am uh, frequently asked, hey, where can I get news that's not hostile to my Christian values? Well, here it is, the Washington Stand, news and commentary from a biblical perspective. We've actually added a number of reporters to our staff who are now working on news stories for the Washington Stand. Find out more, go to WashingtonStand.com. And by the way, we have three winners from yesterday's uh, text drawing. Uh, You'll be receiving those Stand coffee mugs very shortly. But I have three more to give away today. So just text the word news, news to 67742. That's 67742, text news, and I'll give you a 16-ounce Ceramic USA made coffee mug. That's text news to 67742. All right, tomorrow I will be in Houston, Texas for a Watchman on the Wall Regional Pastors Briefing. I'll be there. General Boykin will be there along with uh, George Barna, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, Pastor Steve Riggle, Dr. Andrew Brunson, and more. The briefing is tomorrow, June the 3rd, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. To find out more, go to watchmanpastors.org. Our word for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. And it reads as follows. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And the Lord said, To Hebron. David inquired of the Lord. Now, David had already been anointed king. Saul is now dead. He knew he was going to be king, but he recognized that the timing was the Lord's. He sought the Lord's direction. He didn't make it happen. 
Now, this is in keeping with what David wrote over in Psalm 37. He said, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. To be a part of our Bible reading journey, you can go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, as I mentioned earlier today, the House Judiciary Committee had a rare recess meeting to discuss a package of eight bills that Democrats are rushing to push through, claiming they are wildly popular with the American public. I'm not sure where they came up with that, but that's what they say. But the question is, are they trying to find real solutions to gun violence, or are they just interested in appealing to their base? With me now to talk about what came out of this hearing or debate today is Congressman Dan Bishop. He is a member of the House Judiciary Committee and Homeland Security Committee. He represents the 9th Congressional District of North Carolina. He's a true blue member of Congress. Uh, Dan, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. I'm always thankful for you and for the news you provide. I'm glad to be with you again. Before we get into the hearing, I want to show a short clip of last night. We held a pray vote stand uh, program and we had Daryl Scott, who was or who is the the father of Rachel Scott, who was killed in Columbine School. And that was brought up today. And I, I want just for our listeners to hear what he had to say last night, which was really setting the stage for the conversation that took place or debate that took place in the committee hearing uh, today. Play the uh, clip of uh, Mr. Scott, please. We know there are answers to school violence. We've seen it. But the politicians keep going back to the same old issues of gun control, hardening the target, police officers in schools. And we need as much emphasis on reaching the heart of our kids, touching the heart of our kids, because the shooters most of the time are students. I mean, that's what we heard today. More gun control. That's uh, apparently what the Democrats are pushing through. Well, and Tony, maybe both sides uh, are uh, are guilty of it. And, and I believe he's right about the, um, the stalemate, uh, but it comes from sort of a lack of good faith. I, I really think uh, it's not a good idea to have six bills that were sitting around in Congress, you know, bring us back during recess because everybody's very upset and uh, ram them through as a package. And uh, but th- there's not really an inclination to interact and to consult uh, there, you know, one member on the Democratic side said Republicans are complicit in these kind of accusations. I've raised the question that it looks like three of these uh, the pieces of this bill would conflict with what appears to be the current law on what the Second Amendment uh, provides. It provides protections to 18 to 20 year olds. I've had myself the notion that maybe uh, there ought to be more limitations on uh, young people because they're not uh, fully developed yet, they're less, their judgment's not as fully developed, but you've got to contend with what the Constitution provides as interpreted by the Supreme Court. No interest in doing that. They just want to pass through a bunch of bills that would potentially strip. And, and then when we get to that point, we had one member, Mr. Jones from New York, who said, you will not stop, stop us from passing gun control. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it. We will not rest until we've taken weapons of war out of our communities. You know, that, that's pretty elemental, Tony. Yeah. So my job then is to go and say I'm here to defend, first of all, the Constitution of the United States and the rights it confers upon the people. You know, Dan, I think that's an extremely important point to make. And that, that really, in, in many ways, sum, summarizes the two sides, the Republican side, the Democratic side, the liberal conservative side. We have a Constitution. That is the document by which the American people agree to be governed by. And, and you're right. That should be at the forefront of any consideration of legislation. They see that as a speed bump on their way to accomplish what they want to do. Right. They, they think the only answer is to strip people of their guns. Uh, and they want to do it as broadly as they possibly can. That's what they want to do. I, I would say to the, you know, you played the clip. I think there are solutions. I, I think we can go back and work some more on hardening schools. But, but really, Tony, you and I know, and people who listen to your program know, that the real issue is 
uh, frankly, a loss of the relationship between the country and God. Yeah. Uh, we know that it is uh, a, a, the pervasive welfare state this dis- and the, the intention to destroy family units, the loss of connectedness of young people because of that, the lack of counseling uh, and, and for, you know, strong father figures in their lives in many cases. We know all those things. And maybe there are ways to, we're going to have to come up with some new ideas to fix them instead of just going out and saying we're going to deny Americans yet another right that they're, that's fundamental to them under ordered liberty. Well, 92% of violent acts are done without a gun. So what are we going to control next? I mean, um, you know, we saw just a few years ago in England, they had to uh, restrict the sale of knives over three inches because people were using knives. Uh, people use cars. We've had people running cars into crowds. So it is, it's not what is, it's not the instrument that's in, in the hand. It's the condition of the heart And I do think this is a time, and I know you agree with me, so we're not having a debate, we're having a conversation, but I do think it's time for Republicans to be bold and assertive and say, look, we have the social science here, we have the profiles of those who have committed these crimes, and we see what kind of family structure they come from, we see the absence of morality. It's time to have a conversation about returning to where we have God and morality, as Washington said, we can't have morality without religion. It's time to bring that back into the public discussion, and that includes our schools. You know, Tony, you hit it exactly right. Someone has pointed out to me in the last uh, year or so that the word repentance really means returning to a point of origin and that leaders are called upon to to call the nation to repentance, that the last president who did it was Woodrow Wilson. It's interesting, and I think I think it's fundamentally right what you said. We've got to return to a to a point of origin, a previous understanding of how our uh, our network of people, the people in our society, relate to one another. We've got to figure out a way to accomplish that. So I'm not here at all to say be a naysayer on solving this problem or to deny the horrific nature of what we're seeing over and over again. But you know, Tony. Uh, they say America, America's now awash in guns. America's been awash in guns for its entire history. But we didn't have what we see today for our entire history. Things yeah. that have changed, and, and it would be illogical to go think, think that uh, somehow grabbing guns is going to solve what ails us. It is not. Yeah. And, and just, you know, for full disclosure, I mean, I've, as a police officer, I've seen this. I've faced guns. In fact, we've had a shooting here at the Family Research Council in the District of Columbia. We had a, uh, an LGBTQ activist come in here, try to kill some of our people. And we have restrictive, some of the most restrictive laws in the nation right here in Washington, D.C. Didn't stop him. So, I, I, and again, that's dealing with symptoms. And I think it's right. The time is right. If the American people want solutions, it's time to go to the to the heart of the matter, which is, in fact, the heart. And we need to have those conversations. I totally agree. Uh, Cain slew Abel with the jawbone of an ass. Uh, the condition of the heart has always been the issue. Uh, we have had policies in the United States over the last 40 to 50 years that have caused our social fabric to deteriorate and the, and the, the crushing consequences of that are all too plain to see. We can address that together as Americans of good faith will, um, and I'm sure, I hope we will. And, uh, and we'll be right there with you. Uh, Congressman Dan Bishop, always great to uh, talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you, Tony. And by the way, folks, the president will be speaking to the nation tonight, and uh, we'll be watching that and talking about that tomorrow, I'm sure, as we'll be broadcasting from Houston, Texas. Coming up, the State Department has released the 2021 International Religious Freedom Report. We'll talk about that with the former ambassador-at-large for religious freedom, Sam Brownback. Next, stick around. We'll be right back. Research Council on an exciting two-year journey through the Bible. FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan helps you to dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into the cultural issues of the day. God has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. By studying the Bible, we can see God's plan unfold throughout the past and be encouraged by how the truth of Scripture is still relevant in our current day and will be into the future. 
The Stand on the Word reading plan engagingly and thoughtfully takes you through the daily scripture to help you stay grounded in God's truth. You can start this reading plan with Family Research Council today. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your family and friends. Visit frc.org slash Bible to begin this journey through the Bible today. Although most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, studies show that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. That is why Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview was created. The center serves to help Christians understand the importance of Scripture, why it must be authoritative, and how it can equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC Center for Biblical Worldview provide resources to help prepare believers to give a scriptural answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access these free resources at frc.org slash worldview. See the center's latest blogs, op-eds, and publications by signing up for the newsletter at frc.org slash worldview email. Want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Again, search Stand Firm and download the app today. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Religious freedom, the right to practice one's religion as you see fit without government interference, is a bedrock principle of our nation. Uh, after all, it's our first freedom listed in the First Amendment of our country's Constitution. Even though we often take this right for granted here domestically, most people throughout the world are not as blessed to live under a system of government that guarantees this freedom. And this is recognized by the United States as a universal human right. In fact, uh, the 1948 Declaration of Human Rights from the United Nations established that fact. Well, each year since the passage of the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998, the U.S. State Department has released an annual report to Congress on the state of international religious freedom. And this year is no different. It was released earlier this morning. Here to react to this year's report is the uh, former Ambassador-at-Large for Religious Freedom under the Trump administration, Ambassador Sam Brownback. Sam, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony. It's always good to join you, and thanks for highlighting this report. It's a key report each year, and it's one we need to talk a lot about. Well, and there's a different, uh, I, I say, slightly different focus from this administration from the previous administration. What were uh, the highlights of this year's report that jumped out at you? You know, the good piece that I like about it is their continued highlighting of the repression that's taking place in China, because the China is just such a lodestar of persecution that's taking place and enabling a persecution. And it's so important that we go from administration to administration, citing what is taking place in China. So I was really pleased about that. I'm still upset about last year's removal of Nigeria as a country of particular concern. That was not called for. The situation continues to be terrible, and it's and that's shown forth as well in the report. Well, they did uh, recognize, I guess, in part of the narrative that the some of the state uh, governments in Nigeria are using anti-defamation and blasphemy laws to punish the people. So I don't know if that's their uh, uh, consolation to the to, to the to, to the 
criticism they've gotten for for dropping Nigeria from the countries of particular concern list, but they are recognizing that there are still problems there. Uh, what 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 other um, highlights from this year's report uh, struck you? Yeah, n- none in particular. Uh, honestly, I mean, I am so glad they continue to put the report out and they continue to emphasize this issue uh, because uh, you've got other bodies around the world that are kind of walking away from it. You just had the UN head of human rights go to Sinjan and not and not even see the concentration camps that are taking place. This was a terrible, disgraceful thing that happened uh, to the UN, and it's harmful to the Uyghurs and the human rights and religious freedom movement there. So I'm just really pleased that the administration continues to emphasize this. This is a statutory commitment that was put on it by the Congress. It's been done by Republican and Democrat administrations. What we really see need to see now is follow-up. Uh, on these things. And any time that we're in a foreign policy setting, that these issues of religious freedom, particularly things done by China, things done in Nigeria, things done by Vietnam and other countries are raised by the administration. They're in the report. They need to be raised in these foreign policies and in foreign capitals. Let me ask you this, Ambassador, because, you know, we worked closely together. I was on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and you were ambassador. And and the administration, the Trump administration, fully embraced religious freedom, both domestically and as a foreign policy. In fact, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said it was their number one foreign policy issue was religious freedom. Did that set a benchmark, a standard that is, is forcing even this administration to recognize these problems to a certain degree that they may not have done otherwise? I think it's raised the profile. I think it's raised the stature of the topic. I think it's made it it a mainstream foreign policy issue instead of kind of a boutique issue uh, that it had been treated as some in the past. So this topic, it's been raised and it hasn't gone down uh, in the sense that that it's it's a higher profile issue. And Tony, If we're going to ever really deal with genocide and crimes against humanity in the world today, you've got to talk about religious freedom because most of the time genocides and crimes against humanity are done to a religious group of people like the Uyghurs in China, like the Rohingya being pushed out of Burma, that were Muslims, like the Christians being treated in Nigeria. You've got to talk about the faith issue. Well, in the absence of a strong voice, although I, I agree with you, I, I commend the administration that they have been raising this issue, not to the level it was before, but they are raising the issue. However, a lot of the non-government organizations, the NGOs, are taking this up, and uh, that's one of the things you are driving uh, next into this month, actually, end of June, will be the International Religious Freedom Summit. Uh, tell our viewers and listeners about that. June 28th to 30th, we'll have the largest gathering of religious freedom activists from around the world will take place in Washington, D.C. at the Renaissance Hotel. People can go on the Earth Summit 2022 website and sign up to come. And we're going to be talking about religious freedom around the world, what's happening in various places, and really trying to energize and connect the various parts of this body of activists that are working on religious freedom. Uh, This is a critically important topic, and we've got to have it go grassroots. It's got to go in through civil society and through the churches and the uh, synagogues and mosques and various houses of worship around the world. We don't talk about theology at these things. We don't agree on that. But this is this common human right that we talk about, and we need to stand with each other and protect. Yes, if we do not protect it abroad— there's a connection between promoting it here in America, uh, protecting it here in America, and, and promoting it. It all goes together, and we've got to exercise that. And I appreciate your leadership on that, Sam. And, and of course, uh, Family Research Council will be there, and we'll be broadcasting. Washington Watch will be broadcasting uh, from the summit this year. Thanks so much for joining us. Always great to see you. Good to see you, Tony. Take care. God bless. All right. Uh, former Ambassador for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. And uh, check out the international summit that will be taking place at the end of this month. All right, don't go away. We're going to come back and talk about woke corporations. 
that you are putting the retirement funds of state employees at risk. And so now state leaders are calling them out and saying, "Mm -mm, not with our employees money. You're going to do that. We'll be joined by the attorney general of Kentucky next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Most of us have at least one friend or family member who is pro-choice or have engaged with someone who doesn't share our pro-life views. As Christians, we are called to defend the weak and to speak truth in love. When we advocate for the unborn, we must do so in a way that is both honest and loving. At Family Research Council, we recognize the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. The value of human life is not conditional upon its usefulness to others or an arbitrary evaluation of a person's quality of life. Rather, the value of human life is unconditional because God, the author of life, has created all humans in his image. FRC's Center for Human Dignity exists to give a voice to the voiceless by helping others speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Access our free resources at frc.org life so that you can address abortion, human trafficking, pornography, and more. Attention university students, do you feel called to promote faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture? Are you hoping to grow in Christian leadership? Then join Family Research Council for an unforgettable internship. FRC's 12 to 15 week internship program is designed to educate university students who are passionate about public service and who believe that a biblical worldview is necessary for government to serve the people and for culture to thrive. As an intern, you work alongside FRC's experts who will invest in your personal and professional development as you prepare to make a kingdom impact in the world. This paid internship offers free housing in D.C., allowing you to experience community with other faithful conservatives in the nation's capital. For more information and to apply, visit frc.org internships. That's frc.org internships. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Corporations have found themselves under greater scrutiny following last year's woke corporate response to Georgia's election integrity law, and and even more so after uh, Disney's recent uh, pushback against Florida's parental rights and education law. And, uh, boy, that cost them. Well, now more government officials in Republican-led states right-thinking states, are working to remove politics from another area, pension fund investments. And I, uh, when I was in the legislature, I actually served on the uh, retirement committee, and we oversaw these investments of pension funds. Well, something's happened in the last few years where you have many of these investment firms uh, doing some crazy stuff. They're prioritizing above the return for the retirees They're prioritizing such things as social, environmental, and uh, governance standards over a return. Well, just last week, the Attorney General of Kentucky, uh, Attorney General Daniel Cameron, uh, issued an opinion saying that such actions on behalf of state funds is a violation of state law. He joins us now. General Cameron, welcome back to uh, the program. Tony, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, before we dive into uh, to this, some of our viewers and listeners may need a quick, you know, uh, economics 101 on in terms like stakeholder capitalism, environmental, social and governance standards or what we call the ESG. In a nutshell, what are those? Well, for me, for me, I think and for your listeners, what it means is these uh, hedge fund managers or in other or other investment managers uh, trying to push their ideas on uh, climate change, on other diversity-driven policies, uh, push those on corporations and push those ideas or that belief set or system on you. And in this context, when we talk about public pensions, uh, 
when it comes to stakeholder capitalism or ESG, what they want to do is make that the priority uh, for companies as opposed to what the fiduciary responsibility for these investment firms and investment managers are, which should be uh, bringing as much money back to the beneficiary. For us in Kentucky, that means teachers, that means police officers, uh, other uh, public employees, firefighters uh, who have obviously invested their money in these pensions uh, and are hoping for the biggest return they can get. But a lot of these investment fund managers have different priorities, which is, again, wanting to push their value system uh, on the rest of us. And, and let me make note of the fact that this is not their money, meaning this is not the investment manager's money. This is not the fund index's money. It's your money. It's your listeners' money. It's the money of, again, those folks I just talked about, the police officers, the teachers. Uh, and so we want to make sure in Kentucky we shine a spotlight on this to make sure uh, that the investment fund managers and the trustees of these pension programs uh, are using the dollars wisely and effectively to make sure we maximize for the beneficiary uh, so that uh, when they decide to retire, uh, their money isn't being jeopardized by some of these ancillary interests. I mean, that, that should be a no-brainer. I mean, people are investing their money for retirement, and they're using that money to advance social causes. But is some of this pressure coming externally from the federal government and some of these regulatory institutions forcing these uh, investment firms to do this type of stuff? Well, uh, the Biden administration in particular, when you look at some of their administrative agencies, are now to the point where they're encouraging, either through, uh, uh, through those specific agencies, uh, putting in practice uh, what they've been spouting off on the campaign trail and what you hear uh, from uh, these large company in, or investment fund managers uh, they want to push these uh, social or cultural changes on the rest of the country, meaning here in Kentucky, you know, I think a lot of our listeners uh, believe in, you know, kind of traditional values. And what you find in some of these investment fund managers is a completely different set of values that, again, they want to push on the broader society. And when they're working men and women who are sitting at their dinner table thinking about, what their pension is going to look like once they finish uh, working and after they've been working hard, uh, they want to make sure that they're able to get as much money from that pension and, again, not have it be uh, subject to uh, the whims of some of these index fund managers who have different priorities from making the most money uh, right. for the beneficiary. And um, just to summarize, as I read your opinion, you're basically saying that's in violation of, uh, of state law to have a higher priority than bringing a return for the client. That's exactly right. At, at the end of the day, the uh, trustees and the folks that uh, manage these funds, based on Kentucky law and, and it's consistent with federal law, their sole mission, their sole pur purpose uh, is to bring as much money uh, back to the beneficiary, back to that school well, teacher, back to that police officer. Well, uh, General, that, that is, I, I, I want to say thank you for taking the lead on that and, and speaking out about that, and I'm, I'm glad other Republican-led states are doing the same. I think this is one way to push back against corporate America, but it's, it's more about defending your citizens, those employees, those hardworking sure. firemen, policemen, teachers that work, you know, 25, 30, 40 years, and they expect to get a return right. on their their investment. Thanks for being That's with exactly us, General. Right. Yes, sir. Folks, Thank stick you, with sir. us. We're coming back on the other side of the break, and we're going to get uh, an update on the Lion of Judah. We're going to talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. More to come after this break.
Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's own choosing and to live in accordance with those beliefs. It is an inherent human right. Therefore, Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty strives to advance religious liberty for all people of all faiths. Advocates for strong religious liberty protections are often labeled bigots. But for those familiar with the history of religious liberty in the United States, until recently, it was embraced by a majority of Americans. In fact, religious liberty has historically had bipartisan support. Today, efforts to restrict this freedom have become increasingly common. Therefore, Christians need to articulate with greater clarity why we support religious liberty and why all people are served when religious liberty thrives. Access the Center for Religious Liberty's free resources to learn more at frc.org slash religious liberty. In today's culture, there are few examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need a model of leadership, strength, courage, and sacrificial love that they can look to. But where can they find it? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong, biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have the generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. At Family Research Council, we want to be able to keep you informed on our latest resources and events. Due to the growing threat of tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've created a tech subscription platform so that we can stay connected. So if we get canceled, you can continue to receive updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, giving away three stand mugs today for the celebration of the launch of Washington Stand, our online news service, 67742. Text the word news, and you might be one of the lucky winners. That's text the word news to 67742. Yesterday in the Bloomfield Garden, one of the largest parks in Jerusalem, a dedication ceremony was held for a 1,134-pound, 11-foot-long bronze lion sculpture that was given to the city of Jerusalem as a gift symbolizing the friendship and support of Christians in the U.S. for the Jewish people of Israel. The Lion of Judah statue has been uh, installed. It was installed back in May of 2020, but the dedication of the statue was postponed until yesterday due due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And the story behind the statue goes back even further than that. And uh, with me now to talk about the Lion of Judah's journey to Jerusalem is the sculpture, the creator, artist Max Greiner, Jr. of the Coming King Foundation based in Kerrville, Texas, a good friend of FRC. Max, welcome to Washington Watch for the invitation and opportunity to kind of share what God's doing with us. Well, this is fascinating. I know uh, you, were not, you were not able to be there because of an emergency in the family, but uh, you've got to be excited about the fulfillment of this vision of giving this Lion of Judah to the city of Jerusalem, to Israel. Yes, sir, I am. And God, you know, he orders our steps and he puts our priorities out. And I had to be here with the family on some things, crises we had here, but God's on everything. And so 
uh, I'm kind of like old Moses with the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant and the Ten Commandments. He didn't get to go into the Holy Land Israel either. He had to stay and watch from a distance. And so that's kind of uh, uh, what I had to do. And, and ironically, this this lion is kind of a type of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it, it actually, when we shipped it to Israel, it landed in a port called Ashdod. And then it was brought to the down a road to a storage that we had arranged with the Joseph Project, and it happened to be in Bet Shemesh, or Shemesh, however they say it. And uh, that's the exact route that the line of, that the Ark of the Covenant followed, uh, you know, with Moses and Joshua, and, and when it was captured and taken over. So literally, it 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 went to Bet Shemesh, and then it sat in a warehouse for almost two years. Just like the original Ark of the Covenant had to sit in the house of Obedim, I believe was his name, and before the, the king called it into Jerusalem. Yeah. And so uh, it's kind of all in a similar path. So it's quite amazing. And we think this is kind of a type of, of Ark of the Covenant. Well, that's a, that's a tenth of the time. Two years, it was 20 years in his house, <laughs> yeah. and his house was blessed during that time. Let's yeah, talk about the, the motivation, the inspiration behind the sculpture. Tell our viewers okay. about that. Well, well. You know me a lot of years, Tony, and I, I figured out, oh, back in 1986, I guess, that God could give me ideas. And so instead of just working up my ideas the typical way an artist does, I'm also an architect. Instead of doing it that way, I kind of got spoiled with a divine servant and learned that he would tell me what he wanted if I would just listen. So uh, this line of Judah was inspired when I was standing on a hill in Kerrville, Texas, right on Interstate 10. And God had just given us land to build a sculpture garden to honor the Lord, and it, and it was worth millions of dollars. And as I stood on that hill, there was a beautiful point that extended out towards the interstate. Uh, and again, this location happens to be halfway between the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean on Interstate 10 at the same latitude as Israel. And so anyways, I asked God, you know, Lord, what, what, what do you want to put here? This is a wonderful place. And I believe he spoke into my mind. And, uh, and I got what you might call a word of uh, wisdom. And, and he said, I want to sculpture a big lion of, uh, right here with the uh, Ten Commandments monument. And so I said, oh, my gosh, Lord, that would be a wonderful thing to have, a, a real big Ten Commandments monument with a lion on it. And so I, that began the, the vision. I got plenty of confirmations as soon as I shared it with my wife, Sherry, and, and other Christians that were involved in our project to build a sculpture prayer garden. Uh, for Jesus on Interstate 10. And uh, so as we got into the project, I actually started, you know, working on the foam and, and, and carved it out of foam first and then started to, later to put clay on it. And that's that's uh, what the clay looked like. Um, but, but what happened is um, I got delayed with my life and everything going on like so many of us do. And uh, so I wasn't able to finish it uh, until later. Uh, but this line, in the meantime, I had felt like the Lord was telling me the number one needs to go to Israel. And before uh, we put any lines anywhere else in the world, that's a signed numbered edition, that number one needed to be given to Israel by American Christians. So many Christians helped me, friends, prayer intercessors, uh, a lot of different people over a lot of years. But when we finally got the project and decided to do it, we, um, we got Leadership Inc. and Jeff Anderson and Barbara Anderson here and, and Kerrville to help us raise the money uh, to get it over there. Now, Sherry and I were donating our profits in Eagle Bronze in Lander, Wyoming, one of the biggest foundries in the world owned by Christian Monty and Beverly Paddleford. They were donating their profits, and but we still had a whole lot of cost to getting it over there. And, and we thought that raising the money was the hard part. Uh, and it, it was hard, but it, that went pretty fast. Then we had to figure out how to ship it to Israel. And, and shipping anything is super expensive. But by the grace of God, God um, provided uh, the Joseph Project and Harvest for Israel that does humanitarian work in Israel uh, to help us get it over there. And then we got it over there. We tried to give it to the, the nation of Israel and the city and even um, um, the, the uh, Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast folks, uh, Albert Bexler and Michelle Bachman and others, um, helped us um, try to get it there but we couldn't get the approval. And uh, and so it, this lion sat in a box, just like the Ark of the Covenant sat in a box and bet Shemesh. And uh, for all this time until in a sovereign uh, miracle, I believe, a divine appointment, um, the Deputy Mayor Fleur uh, sat next to Michelle Bachman, former, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, 
um, at a banquet. And they struck up a conversation and, and Michelle knew about this and had already prayed. And so she told the deputy mayor that we're trying to give them a free gift of a big line that represents Jerusalem, King David, the tribe of Judah, uh, the nation of Israel and the Messiah. And so anyways, by the grace of God, Michelle got uh, the mayor, to, deputy mayor to go right over. And, uh, and, and what had transpired, we had before tried to give the lion uh, during the administration of uh, uh, Mayor Barack, I think, or Barcott, uh, and we never could get any um, uh, acceptance. And then the new mayor came in, and his name was Moshe Lyon, or Leon. And so in the administration of Mayor Lyon, they accepted Lyon gift. And thanks to so many people, uh, it, it, we were making progress. But then the city said, we don't want to touch it. We want to have so you do it all. And, I, and I, I said, I'm a long way off. And God brought in through a divine appointment again, uh, Rabbi Pesach Walicki, an Orthodox rabbi, who builds bridges as for friendship, as he says, between Christians and Jews. And so God used um, my friend, now good friend, Rabbi Walicki, uh, and he volunteered without even really knowing what he volunteered for. Uh, he, he called me from a boat out in the middle of a lake in Minnesota with a pastor friend of mine, Tim Peterson. And I said, hey, where are you from? And he took Bet Shemesh. And I said, I got a lion stuck in a box in Bet Shemesh, would you help me? And he, he we prayed, he took it on. And so, Tony, that's how he got it that's, in. We got it called. That's and a, for this dedication. Great story, Max, and uh, just uh, it's exciting to see the fulfillment. I know you've carried this vision for a long time, and I just want to congratulate you on seeing this uh, dedication ceremony take place uh, yesterday. Always great to see you, Max. Thanks so much for joining us. Let me say, Tony, the only reason we did this is because we love God, we love Israel, we love the people of Israel, and it is a gift. And I know, uh, know that it is. Uh, Max Greiner, you, in fact, he, he mentioned his uh, uh, prayer garden. It's right off of I-10 in uh, Kerrville, Texas. So if you're ever going through there on Interstate 10, which goes all the way from California to Florida, be sure and stop by there and, uh, and, and see it. Max is a great guy. I've known him for a number of years. But as I mentioned, unfortunately, he was not able to be there because of a family em- uh, emergency. But the ceremony was attended by dignitaries from around Israel and across the world. And among those in attendance was my next guest, Chris Mitchell. He is the Middle East Bureau Chief for the Christian Broadcasting Network, uh, who uh, is now in Jerusalem, and he was there yesterday at the ceremony. Chris, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to be with you, Tony. And I love hearing Max's uh, story, uh, and that, that was recounted yesterday at the dedication. It's a Wonderful, wonderful story and a great time, great uh, gift to the people of Jerusalem and a real honor to uh, Max and Sherry for the way, what they did uh, to give the people of Israel and the people of Jerusalem uh, just a profound gift. It, it is, and the story is fascinating, but I wouldn't expect anything less knowing Max and how things work. He's just, it's, it's you know, everything, there's spiritual opposition to things, but th- there's something significant about this. And part of that came out yesterday in the dedication ceremony. Tell us about it. Well, it was a, it was a wonderful dedication. And, and a lot of the people that were involved in this, uh, as as he said, uh, Michelle Bachman was there. Uh, <clears throat> Flo Hassan Dohum was there. And uh, it really was special. Here they are uh, unveiling it. That's uh, Michelle and Flo. And that's a representative of uh, Max. And there they are taking it off. CBN was there. We were there in 2020 when it was installed, and uh, we had the privilege to be there uh, there in uh, in yesterday when it was uh, unveiled. It's it's an amazing sculpture, and uh, it reminds an, a lot of people uh, of both the strength of the Lion of Judah and also the uh, the gentleness and the the way that a lion will uh, will be protective as well. So it just uh, was a wonderful thing. We were able to do a Facebook Live. Uh, we had a three cameras there. We'll be uh, putting that online as well, and uh, so people can see the service for themselves. And uh, just a wonderful, uh, amazing place. It's really just across the street, Tony, from our bureau, and it does have a, a really wonderful view of the old city walls of Jerusalem, uh, just across the valley. And it's an exceptional place. One other person that was there was uh, a man named Am- Amos Cohen. He's uh, one of the uh, used to be uh, back 
just a year or two ago. He's retired now. But he installed all the public art uh, or the artworks in the public places around Jerusalem. This is his favorite because he said this represents Jerusalem, the Lion of Judah. And uh, he wanted to be there himself to see the dedication and uh, say a few words for himself. Now, Chris, I watched uh, your Facebook Live coverage of it, and I don't remember if it was uh, Rabbi Wallicki who made this statement, but t- talk about uh, biblical prophecy of the Jewish people returning to uh, Israel. And he also made the comment that the embracing f- of the evangelical community of the Jewish people is also fulfillment of that prophecy as we see that relationship uh, building this this has quite uh, this has quite significance uh, quite a lot of significance to it uh, quite a bit Tony I, in fact I've been here since uh, the year 2000 and I think during the second intifada this three to four year period of terror attacks uh, throughout the country and the city the one group that kept coming back were evangelical Christians and uh, I think that sent a message to many of the Jewish people here in Israel that the evangelical Christians would stand by them in difficult times. And over the years, uh, the last two decades, that relationship has grown uh, profoundly. I mean, Rabbi Pesach uh, Willicky is, is one sign of that. Uh, many other signs, like you now you have Christian friends in Magen Debita Dome, Christian friends of the Jewish Agency, Christian friends uh, of Yad Vashem, uh, Israel's Holocaust Memorial. And so this relationship between uh, evangelical Christians and uh, and the Jewish people is really profound. Yeah. And I think the Lion of Judah is really just a symbol of that uh, that newfound uh, and profound relationship between the Jewish people, evangelical Christians, particularly in the U.S. represented because that many of them donated to this uh, to this line. But but I would say around the world today, Tony, and part of the dedication was part of the Jerusalem prayer breakfast that started yesterday and uh, ended just a, a few minutes ago here in Jerusalem. That's one more sign. There were 38 nations represented coming here to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to pray for the Jewish people. One more sign, as you said, of this prophetic fulfillment. Uh, Chris, we just have about 30 seconds left, but under the present Washington administration here in Washington, under this Democratic administration that seems to be, you know, somewhat slipping in its relationship with Israel, is there a growing affinity for the evangelical community in the absence of a strong support coming from the the uh, American administration? I think so, Tony. I think the fact that uh, they, they during the Trump administration, uh, however you thought of President Trump, for the Jewish people here, they felt that he stood beside them. He recognized Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish people. He uh, moved the U.S. embassy here. In light of that, the Biden administration has really taken a whole step back, you could say, uh, sort of like the Obama 2.0 administration, where they weren't quite as friendly, outgoing. Now they're advocating more for a two-state solution, uh, really funding, in some ways, the Palestinian Authority, unlike what the Trump administration did. So, yes, I, I think there is a, a, a increased attention, perhaps, on the, uh, the friendship and the support, the encouragement of evangelical Christians to the Jewish state. All right. Uh, Chris Mitchell, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. And uh, by the way, if you see Michelle, tell her I said hello. She was uh, with us last week, so I'll see her next week. But tell her I said hello. Great. I'll do that, Tony. And folks, thank you for joining us as well. Always great to have you with us. And uh, one more time, if you would like to uh, win one of these stand mugs, text NEWS to 67742 as we celebrate the launch of the Washington Stand, our online news service. Again, text the word news to 67742. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. 
Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 